And so we're in our series called Transformed, and it's how God changes us. You know, we were singing songs about him being our foundation and having needing a strong foundation, and his, his promises are yes and amen. Let me tell you, all the things that we've been talking about this six weeks have been yes and amen as long as we're walking out the premises. He's got those promises that he can't wait to fulfill. And so we've been talking about many things. We started with spiritual. We talked about physical health. We talked about mental health. We talked about relational health. We talked about emotional health. And this week, we're actually talking about financial health. We're using a story, a parable that Jesus used, and it is oftentimes confused or mixed up what he is actually talking about when he delivers this parable. Now, don't check out with me because this is not a message on giving and finance and, and tithing and all that. It's a message on stewardship. It's a message on how to properly manage what God has given you according to his purposes. And the promise that comes along with that, I'm going to show you at the end of this. So we're in Luke 16, 1 through 8 is where we're going to start. And it says this, Jesus said, There once was a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. Ouch. The manager thought, What am I going to do now? I'm losing my job, but I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know what, I, I know what I'll do. So that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who was in debt to his master. He asked the first man, hey, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, okay, okay, tear that up and on that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. The next manager, the net next, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager said, okay. Change your bill to say you only own you only owe rather eight hundred. Now, when the manager that when the master heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Isn't that interesting? Because the manager was doing this underhandedly, and the master had no idea of what the manager was doing until he found out. The manager, the master rather, said, hey, that's pretty, that's pretty shrewd of you. Now, he's not praising the dishonesty of the manager, but he is praising the shrewdness of the manager. And so what Jesus is telling us, that the worldly people are actually more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. Isn't that an interesting concept? Let's follow this a little bit further in, in 9 through 13. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, he's talking about heaven. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches. Now that's a really good question. That's a really good question. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. Now, notice he doesn't say you should not serve both God and money. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is very confusing. The master, is, again, is not praising the dishonesty. He is praising the shrewdness. So he's showing us there's something about being shrewd in our affairs that we can learn from. And it actually, the people of the light, believers, people who belong to Christ, actually need to learn some of these things. Though, though, the, though the, uh, the mechanics are a little bit different, the basics of the shrewdness is something that children of the light need to pull from and understand from this parable especially. You don't have to agree. Here's the key. You don't have to agree with some, everything that someone says in order to learn from them. Okay? If you have to agree 100% with everything someone has to say, then you will never learn a thing. If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. Ask your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your boss, your employees, whatever. You don't have to agree with someone 100%. There are people that you don't agree with that you can learn from. You may not agree with 100% of what I say, but you can learn from me. I may not agree with 100% of what you say, but I can learn from you. And I think I can grow in becoming more shrewd. You don't have to agree with someone to learn from them. Jesus shows us how to learn from all types. For example... Uh, let's say you're going into a surgery, you're going to have surgery, and you don't know if the neurosurgeon is a, a believer or not. Now, your question probably, I know my question wouldn't be, where do you stand on spiritual gifts? My question would be, hey, have you ever done this before, and do you think you can do a good job? That's going to be very, very important for me. Now, I, I recently, I was reminded of this as I was writing this message, I was reminded that I recently had a procedure, and uh, I made the most of that moment. Last year, I went and got one of those um, men procedures so that I could no longer have kids, and I took that opportunity to give my testimony to that doctor and that nurse. I'm telling you, I had a captive audience, and it was a perfect time to minister the gospel to these two. You know what happened afterwards? <laughs> the nurse came up to me and said, hey, you know what? After hearing your testimony, I think you could talk to some of my family members. Well, I stewarded well what belongs to God, and I just took the moment of a captive moment. Now, I don't know what they believe, but they know what I believe. They know where I stand. They know where, where I'm going in life. So who is Jesus telling the story to, though? He's telling it to the Pharisees. And who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are people that are very arrogant, very proud, prideful individuals. They're not humble. They don't care about anybody. They care about themselves. And most importantly, to know what you've heard is Pharisees are often asking people to do things that they would never do themselves in the name of the Lord. That's a Pharisee. Now, the number one thing is they are hypocrites. Jesus, though, loved to poke at these hypocrites. He loved to poke at the Pharisees. Now, of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Now, so if you are afflicted, let's say you came in today and you have, you have a trouble, you have a trial, there's a struggle, there's something that you're going through. That's what I mean by afflicted. Well, Jesus is here to comfort you. But let's say you've grown comfortable in your life, and you're in this status of status quo, I'm just getting along, I'm comfortable now. Jesus may be allowing some pain in your life so he can move you on the path that he has for you. So he comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable so he can get us moving. But let's look at the rest of this passage. Luke 16, 14, 15 says this, the Pharisees dearly loved money when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. Of course they did. 
But Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what is in your heart. Let's keep on. The things that, matter, the things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. What is he talking about? What do most people think matter? Well, possessions, power, prestige, position, right? Status, success, sex, salary, money, lust, fame. These are the things that the world, that, that flesh, that the old nature thinks is really important and causes drive inside of us to pursue and seek out and to find full fulfillment in. But what does God say about money? What God says, rather, about money is the exact opposite of what culture says. It's, it's counterculture. In fact, it's radically counterculture to what to everything that you've been taught your life throughout your whole life. Why are we discussing this, though? One, because Jesus is talking about people who love money. I don't know if you know anybody. Jesus is talking about people who love money, and most, most believers are poor money managers. It's true. Many believers, if not most, have no savings. They've got no, no plan for the future when it comes to finances. Most have more months left at the end of the month than they do money. Most are, are purchasing ahead, hoping that they can pay later. Most have more credit card debt than they actually will ever be able to get out of, and they're living interest payment after interest payment after interest payment. Paying principal and nothing more. But this message is not about giving. It's not about tithing. It's not about anything that your heart naturally wants to get turned off to. It's about stewardship and management so that you will actually have more so that you could give if God and as God prompts your heart. So, money is the number one cause of divorce. It's debt until debt do us part. It used to be till death, and now it's till debt do us part. But Jesus praises the manager's shrewdness. And what does shrewd mean? Shrewd means someone who is strategic, someone who is sharp, someone who is smart, someone who is resourceful, someone who is shrewd, they see a problem, and they figure out how to do something about it, and then they go and do something about it. That's a shrewd individual. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the children of the light need to be a little bit more shrewd, need to see a problem coming, need to discover how to do, what to handle, how to do it, how to handle that issue, and then need to go after it and do it. Unfortunately, believers tend to, children of the light tend to, well, if it's God's will, it'll do this. If it's God's will, it'll do that. And if it's God's will, this will just take place. No, you're a, children, you're a child of the light. And God desires for you to be shrewd. He desires to, for you to receive wisdom from above so that you can see a problem, receive wisdom, and then go and do something about it. And that, this, whole, this whole passage explains that. And this is what God is showing us, that he wants you and I to be biblically shrewd with money for the rest of our lives. Okay, so... What do, we, what do we not do with money? Let's talk about these four things, and then we're going to break down into six things really quickly, how to handle it and how to grow this area of our life in stewardship. Stewardship is extremely important. Number one, don't waste it. Don't waste it. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Don't waste it. Just blowing it and spending it wherever you choose and whatever you, on whatever you desire is a waste in the eyes of God. I'm wasting it. If I have culture's perspective that the money I possess belongs to me, then I'll go out of here and I'll go do whatever I want with my money and my possessions. Okay? Number two is this. Don't love it and don't live for it. 
Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Have you ever tried to work for two bosses? They, they both have different visions, and it's called division. It just doesn't work out, right? So you're, you're, you're chaotic. One, me, one time you're in, in a meeting with this individual, he wants to go here. One time you're in a meeting with this individual, they want to go there. And so you're never able to understand where we go and what are we doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? It's just pure chaos. And the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, and God wants your whole heart. Jesus isn't vague on any level right here of what he expects when it comes to our heart and money, our heart and serving him. You can't have two number ones in your life. You can't say, my number one life and goal is to serve God and be closer to God. And my number one goal in life is to have a lot of money. You can't have two number ones. They will always compete, and at some point, one or the other will always win, and oftentimes, it's the one who is most embedded in your flesh, and your soul. Number three is this. Don't trust it for security. And this is why, and I've, I don't know how many times I've taught this, don't put your security in your money in your job, in your career. You don't even put your security in your spouse, in your home, in your clothes, in your good looks. By the way, you may look good right now, but eventually it's going to fade and everything's going to sag. I heard some amens back there. Finally, I get an amen. Hallelujah. This is moving somebody now. All right. So, uh, <laughs> but if you put it in, here's the deal. You're eventually, you're going to lose. And then, where's your security going to be? However, if you put your security in the Lord, if you put your security in God's love, because that's the only thing that will never change, God's love will never change for you. If you put your security in the love of God that he has for your life, then you will be secure in all the areas that I told you previously. Because you know who you are. You know who your provider is. You know who your protector is. You know where your home is. You know who your dwelling place is. And from that place, you're completely confident to live out and do and serve and, and be an example for the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, God's love is unconditional. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. All right? Number four, next is Luke 16, 3 says, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. Well, Proverbs 23, 5 says, your money can be gone in a flash, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Isn't the U.S. Department of Treasury so kind as to put an eagle on the American dollar? You just need to know, while it's in your hand one day, not long from now, it's going to be gone. It's going to fly away like an eagle. It's so true to so many. It, you know, it's too, it hurts too much to laugh. Number four, don't expect to satisfy. A rich man was asked this, how much will it take to make you happy? And he says, just a little bit more. It's always going to be a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. It'll never be enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, whoever loves money will never have enough, and whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Luke 12.15 says, guard against, your, uh, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. In fact, your self-worth has no connection with your net worth. Americans, your valuables don't determine your value. You are worth a lot 
because of the value, the cost that Jesus paid for your life on the cross. That's where your worth comes from. That's where your value comes from. And so when you're looking in the mirror and you're having those wonders, those anxieties, those doubts, you have to put back in that lie that you may be believing that, no, you are worth a lot because when Jesus hung on the cross, he knew you would be here in this generation and he knew that you would have value and have a purpose and be important for things to move forward, the kingdom to move forward in this generation so you are worth a great cost, a great value. You are extremely value, valuable in the eyes of God. Now it's time to get rid of the ungodly belief system. Talking about transformation, this verse on transformation, this is helping us to get rid of these ungodly belief systems. And it says this, and do not be conformed to the world, to this world, but be transformed. Be as you're following the Lord, as you're walking in the Lord, as you're surrendering to the Lord, as you're seeing yourselves in the eyes of the Lord. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what to remember every day? We're going to hit these six. It all belongs to God, number one. The universe, the trees, the grass, your breath, your body, the rocks, the rivers, everything belongs to God. The air, your lungs, it all belongs to God. It's all His, it all came from Him, and one day it will all go back to Him. What you think you own is really on loan. It's not yours. After you die, God gives it to someone else. You get to steward it for approximately 80 years, and then when you die, just as it was before you were alive, it's somebody else's. Now, in this season of life, it's yours. And then the next season, once you go on to wherever you go, hopefully heaven, in Jesus' name, then it will belong to someone else, and someone else will be stewarding what you think, if you're in the wrong mind, belongs to you. So what you think you own is actually on loan. And if you, but if you start seeing your possessions and business as God's, you will start to have less worry, less anxiety, less fear, and less sense of a loss of control or an ideology of control. What you will do whenever problems emerge and problems arise in your car, there's a car accident or whatever the case may be, okay, God, that's your car. So what are you going to do about it? Okay, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this business deal, this issue. I don't know what it is, but I'm your steward, and that's your business. So what are you going to do about it? In every part, in the three years of our growth and our expansion and, and the development of this church, and through every trial and every little issue, because growing has pain, I take my hands off of it. Okay, Lord, it's your church. So what are you going to do about it? And every, every time he comes through and he makes a way. It has to be a transition. Are you going to do it? Or are you going to let me do it? Are you going to handle your marriage your way? Or are you going to let me handle it? Because when you give it to God and you co-labor with God, all of a sudden he just begins to make a way when previously there seemed to be no way. Amen to that. I had a friend who had uh, dental work, needed dental work done. He had some bad molars and he, he didn't have the money. He's in Honduras. He didn't have the money, so he just began to pray. And God healed him. No need to go to the dentist. No need to get them pulled. I met a lady in Brazil 
uh, she was from the UK, and she said in the middle of a worship service, as she was praising God, her, God gave her gold caps on her teeth. Like, why gold caps on her teeth? She didn't understand it. She didn't know. She showed them to me, and I wouldn't have believed it if the husband didn't confirm it. Well, she didn't have the money, but she had the faith. She trusted in God. She was praising him. She was saying, God, this is yours. I don't have it, but you do. And so he replaced it. Luke 16, 1 says the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. Well, how well are you taking care of what God has given you to manage? How well are you taking care of your health? How well are you taking care of your talents? How well are you taking care of your schedule? How well are you taking care of your roles, your responsibilities? How well are you taking care of your family? How well are you stewarding what God has given you? Whatever God has given you belongs to him, and you and I are to make the most of it while it is on loan to us. Luke 16, 1b says this, but the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. And whatever you are wasting is a misuse of what belongs to God. Next, God is using, number two, God is using money to test me. Whatever God has given you, he is going to test you with it. It is merely a test. You are in a season of testing. This life is a test for the next. You are in a season of preparation. You are in a season of being ready, being, being developed for the sake of the things that God has for you to come in this next life. In the same way you are being formed in your mother's womb for this life, you are being formed on this earth for the next life. Everything that God is giving you is a test. God doesn't automatically give his blessings to you. He tests you to see if you can be trusted with the more. And as he gives you the more, he continues to test you to see if you can be trusted with that and the more. And if not, God begins to reduce you down back to a level of trust that you can handle, but he's never done with you. Thank God. And then as you steward that well, he begins to trust you with the more yet again. And yet he gives you time to develop, mature, and grow within the more where you're at until you see that what was once an increase is now a flat line of comfort, and then he begins to grow you more with some testing. I thought I was done with testing when I graduated high school. No, you just moved into a greater level of testing because power gets inside the head. God doesn't just give spiritual power to just anybody. He says, before I can give you spiritual power, I'm going to test you with material possessions. This is where it gets deep. I want to give you spiritual power so that you can have true riches, but before, in order to do that, I've got to trust you. I've got to see if I can trust you with material things. I've got to see what's going to happen to your head with the material things that I'm entrusting to you before I can entrust to you spiritual power, spiritual things, deep things that are truly going to change other people's lives. Because power gets inside of the head of a human, and he tests our willingness to be under authority before he allows us to walk in authority. There's measures of authority that increase the more we're able to steward what the material things that would naturally get to the natural man, the old man, the old nature. These things matter nothing, because if you can walk in those things, if you can steward those things according to his authority and his will, his desire, and if you can show that you are a steward of him, now he can say, okay, those things no longer own you, 
Because the things and possessions own you more than you own them, by the way, depending on where your heart is. And from that point, when he says, I can trust you now, spiritual maturity and spiritual authority increases. And now he can resource you for the things that he has called and purposed you for. The test is of the heart. He's going to challenge you, and it's going to be material things he's going to challenge you with. Can I get distracted? Will you be distracted? Will it start to own you? Will it start to drive you? Will sex, success, and status begin to manipulate you and misuse you and confuse you and take you on a path that you were never meant to be? Or will steadfastness, faithfulness, good stewardship, and good management for the sake of the kingdom of God begin to be be your lifeline, your your flow, your area of, of believing, your status, your understanding, your everything, your all in all? Because at that point, money doesn't mean a thing now he can bless you with it i'm telling you a proud heart amen to god a proud heart struggles with authority and in essence true riches a proud heart will always depend on riches a trial a proud heart will always need riches to fulfill them a proud heart will always need to find their status in riches but a humble heart god can give some authority to because that, that humble heart's always going to give the glory back to god and his kingdom will be lifted, not the individual's. This life is, for, life is for preparation for the next. You're getting warmed up. You're in the warm-up stage. You're in two-a-days. You're in practice. God is testing you and doing it continually. And his favorite to test you is in the area of finances. All right. There's three money tests. That way you'll know. It shows, number one is, it shows what I love the most. Boy, anybody ever got an increase? And start thinking about, ooh, now I can buy this. Now I can do this. Now I can. It shows what I love the most. How I spend my money shows what I love the most. Where it goes and what I use it for, what, is, what, what it's intended is, even the, atten- the intent behind the intent. Everything that's in my heart that starts to get revealed, starts to open up, the intent behind the intent. What am I doing? What am I going to do with it? Where am I going to put it? How am I going to bless me? There's two things that reveal you love, the, you love money the most, or what you love the most, rather. Your calendar and your checkbook. I can see what you love the most, what you see as priority, what you put prior to the most important thing. What you see is this is valuable. I look at your calendar, and I look at your credit card statement, and I know, I know where your heart is. I see it all around. Ooh, mm, got me. What I do with money shows what I love the most. Matthew 6, 19 and 21 says, Don't store up treasure here on earth. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's where your heart will be also. If you're in a place right now where you feel distant, like there's no power, you feel like things aren't working, I would encourage you to check your checkbook. You think, well, that's unspiritual. That doesn't make any sense. No. Check your checkbook. Are you investing? Are you putting things towards where God's heart is? Are you putting it into your own heart? Is the seed of what God is blessing you with going down into your own soil? Are you planting it into his soil? Because we'll see the fruit that it bears. And it's going to show up in your calendar and your checkbook. Most importantly, it shows if God can trust me. If God can trust me. God is saying, I want, to, I want to know how well you manage material things before I can entrust you spiritual things. Can I trust you with the more, or are you blowing what little I give you? Because it's little. 
I don't care how much money you make. It's little. It's little in the eyes of God. If you can't develop a heart of stewardship, a heart to steward the material things that God has given you right here, right now, then you'll never be ready to steward the spiritual things that he has for you. But in heaven. It doesn't matter if you say you can trust God if what you're showing and how you're stewarding what God has given you reveals that you, he can't trust you. Oh, I trust God with all of these things, but what are you doing with the things that he has given you? I trust God with my whole life. What are you doing with the things he is giving to fulfill and provide for your life? Are you stewarding it according to his purposes, or are you stewarding it according to his purposes? So though you trust him, can he trust you? Can he trust you? Out-of-control finances reveal an out-of-control life. Unmanaged finances reveal an unmanaged lifestyle. Your need, you need management training. You need financial management training. If God can get it through you, he will get it to you. It's a generosity principle. If he can get it through you, not a problem. It's not going to stick to their heart. It's not going to stick to their soul. It's not going to control them. Now I can get it to them. Let me give you some insight into a verse that challenges us, challenges, challenging in every area, okay? The truth that helped me to get out of the rat race, the rat, this rat race of life, the American dream that we're in. And by the way, do you know, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat? <laughs> you're running the wrong race, right? So Luke 16, 10, 12 says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In our American DNA, we want this and we want that. In this American DNA, we have this American dream that's instilled inside of us. I would say that God has greatly blessed America. I would also say that as Christians, as believers, we have the greatest possibility, the greatest chance of financing and changing the world than any other nation on earth because of the blessings that God has given America and the fact that you are American you are richer than most of the world as a Christian you have all the resources from heaven and you're an American Christian you have all of the possibility to finance and make change in this world greatest change in this world but it all comes down to the middle of the funnel which is the attitude of the heart so being an American, being a Christian, and having all the capabilities and all resources in all the earth and all the universe, having God on your side and funneling it through you, through your heart, through your ability to steward, your mindset, and what you want to do is the gap, is the challenge, is the framework that we're working on right there. That's the little cube, that's the little place right here that gets from here to here is the challenge. Are you following with me? You have a lot of potential. You can do a lot. The test of the heart is to be trustworthy, to do great things for God and his kingdom, and not attempting to establish our own kingdom. Imagine if Warren Buffett were your father, right? One of the richest men in all the world, Warren Buffett. Some of you are thinking about a buffet right now. You're thinking like Golden Corral. No, there is no Golden Corral. You got Tilo's, there's a buffet there. You got, I don't know where the, where the buffet is, but we're not talking about food buffet. We're talking about Warren Buffett. 
Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in all the world. Let's say he was your daddy, he was your poppy, he was your father, he was your, 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 your big daddy. All right, he's saying to you, you're going to... Hey, this all belongs to you. What I got, see this bank account? Boom, like that. It belongs to you. But I, I, I'm not going to give it to you all right now. I'm just going to give you a little bitty tiny bit to see what you can do with it. I'm going to see if you can steward this well, because if you steward this really well, then I'm going to begin to give you more. I'm going to give you to begin to bring you increase. And one day when I die, I will be confident to know that you are going to, stay, you are going to handle and steward this really well. If you manage it well, I'm going to give you the whole thing. Well, Jesus is saying how I handle money will determine how God blesses my life. Jesus is more wealthy than Warren Buffett. There's more kingdom resources. Let's get our minds off money. There's more kingdom resources that funnel through Jesus than Warren Buffett could ever put his hands on. And he's, he's your daddy. He's your big poppy. He's your numero uno. And you have, an, you have an amazing inheritance. You know what your inheritance is as a Christian? The nations. His word says, I will give you an inheritance, and your inheritance is the nations. Well, what are you going to do to steward the little bits that you have right now so that you can be trusted with the more? There's a direct connection between God's blessings in my life and how I handle bucks. There's a direct connection between maturity and money. There's a direct connection between spiritual power and how I handle possessions. Number three is this. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Wait a minute. I thought money is the root of all evil. No. The love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus says to use money. He says, Luke 16, 9, he says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to love people and use money. Now, unfortunately, because of culture, we've got this backwards. Oftentimes, people use money because of their desires. Sorry, they use people to get status, to get wealth, to move ahead in life. And the world is is knocking people down in their way, even within their own workplace, to get to, the, to get to the top, to climb the ladder, to move one place further for their status, for their finances. That's not the wisdom we take from. The shrewdness is, I'm going to move myself forward. I'm going to move forward in God so he can trust me with the more. I'm going to steward well what he has given me now in every area, because I know there is a promise that he will bring the increase. I've heard it said this, money is like manure. You spread it around everywhere and it makes things grow. You pile it all up in one big pile and it makes everything stink. From, 90, from 99 to 2000, you remember when everything was going to go blackout and there was not going to be any, any computer systems and all that. Well, I worked in the banking system and we had to bring in $100,000 into our little teller station and count it all in one day. That room was the funkiest room I had ever smelled. Money stinks. It is horrendous. When you pile it up, it is, you don't want to be in the room. All of a sudden, you wanted $100,000, you don't want $100,000. It runs you out. It stinks that bad. So we're, we're to use temporary resources for permanent good, but how? We will break, I'm going to break this down with a little bit more clarity. You remember the manager? He went to the one guy who owed him. He had some debt, and he said, look, no, slash it 50%. He went to the next guy who had debt, and he said, no, slash it 
It just keep, but just keep it between you and I, all right? I just want you to don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Don't tell the owner. Don't tell your friends. Keep it between you and I. This will be a trust thing. This will be a bond. But what did the manager do right? What, did, what was he praised for? What was the shrewdness that he was actually praised for? Here's the shrewd things that the owner praised him for. He did this. He looked ahead. These are the things that Jesus wants you to know about being shrewd. He looked ahead. His mechanics were wrong. But his mind was right. I'm going to look ahead. Because one day, I don't have the strength to dig ditches, remember? And I'm too proud to beg. But he looked ahead and he decided, I'm going to do, I would see a problem. I found a solution. And I'm going to do something about it. He looked ahead. This verse 3. He was thinking about the future. And most people waste money today thinking about what am I going to do today? What am I going to buy today? What am I going to get? I'm today, what am I going to eat today? And they're not even considering what's going to happen in a year, what could happen, what possibly might happen in a year, much less 40 years from now. In Europe is actually uh, is about 12 to 20 percent average savings. The average savings in the U.S. is about 7 percent. The average savings in Japan is about 22 to 25 percent per household. America was 7 percent. Six years ago, it was negative one. Isn't that terrible? Looking at the future, the average savings, terrible. What else? What else? The Proverbs 14, 8 says this. The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. You ever just thought, well, man, I ain't got no money anyway. I'm just going to keep on blowing that, swiping that card. I, giggles all around. Come on. Anybody want to give testimony this morning? How God blessed you after you kept, kept going further and further in debt? No, absolutely not. Doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. But we do it. What final financial facts are you willing to not face? What, what is it that you're not willing to face? What are the things that you know, man, man uh, it's right now it's making you nervous about how you're stewarding money, and the thing is you want to put it away, you want to go eat something, have a nice dessert, and take a good nap, and hopefully you'll forget this message. What is that thing or those things? I know, what, I know how it works. I know most of you. I talked to you about the message, and you're like, I can't even remember what happened last week. <laughs> so, but some of you have a house or a car, and it's way above your means. You're spending more, month, more a month than you can, even, you can even afford. So you're having, to, you're having to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day of the week, or you're having to go get some tuna salad, and, uh, tuna salad and eat these sandwiches just so you can pay for your car or your home. And you're not stewarding it well. Some of you need to make that decision and say, you know what, I need to go, I need to go downsize a little bit. It's either your pride on your, or your lack of knowledge of finances that is keeping you in debt in that area. Which is it? Proverbs 16.9 says, We should make plans counting on God to direct us. Because he wants to. Remember, I see a problem. I got a problem in my, my finances. I realize I'm not stewarding what belongs to God well. Well, God wants to give us direction. If we hear from him, begin to put it into action... Things will begin to change, our situations, our stressors, our issues, our problems. I haven't had a car payment on my own in 10 years. Why? Because I buy older vehicles, and I make sure they're not clunkers so that they won't cost me even more down the road. It's nice not having to make a payment every month. I don't buy new cars. I don't have new things. It's okay. I'll buy it used, and it'll get me away, around, and I'll have some savings, and I'll be able to plan for the future. It's a good idea. It's a really good idea. 
Next, that he made a plan. The steward, the manager, made a plan. I saw a problem, he saw a look into the future, and then he made a plan. Very simple. Do you have a budget? Do you have a budget? Because a budget is planned spending. When you have a budget, you get to direct and you get to tell where your money, to, money needs to go. When you don't have a budget, you're at the end of the month wondering, where did my money go? You've got no scale. You've got no vision. You don't have, there's nothing God can bless because it's just going everywhere. But when I got a budget, I can say, no, I want you to go there. I want you to go there. I want you to go there. And I want you to stay right here. And you even get to invest into the future. Proverbs 16.9, sorry. Proverbs 16.9, God says God wants to direct you. God wants to direct you. Let him direct you. Next is he acted quickly. He saw a problem and he acted quickly. He didn't say, someday I'll do something. No. Because that's what most of us do. Someday I'll, I'm going to get started. No, he said, he said he started that day doing something that would better his chances into the future. Look at Luke 16.4. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses, eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven, but he's making friends here and now. I'm going to think ahead, make a plan, some relationships, so that when I'm out on my rear, somebody out a little bit. He had a long view, a long view, and that long view is heaven. He was looking forward into the things that one day will be. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to plan ahead because one day I'm going to be in a position and I'm going to have need as well. The next thing to remember daily is this. The best use is to use it getting people to heaven. Luke 16, 9 in the same parable says, Jesus, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Well, isn't that comforting? What does that mean? Jesus is saying that you need to make money, to make, to make, use money to make spiritual friends. Like, what? I mean, you, want to, you mean to buy friends? It's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that you can buy your way into heaven, because that's by grace through Jesus Christ alone. What he's saying is, as you use your money according to kingdom purposes, God's purposes, you are investing in heaven. Let me break it down a little further. As you take a lost person to lunch or to dinner, and they hear from you, and they begin to hear your heart, and their attitudes change, and all of a sudden they want to receive Christ because they need to be on this path because you're being a good steward, and you've fallen into the love of Christ, and you understand what it means to have stability in areas of your life, and they're like, man, I want that for my life. What are you doing? You pay, you pay $45 for a dinner, for a meal, but what you're doing is you're investing into spiritual things into the future. You're investing because one day that person's going to be in heaven waiting for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that dinner because you invested your money into eternal things. Say you go and buy you a book, a Christian book, and you give it to somebody because they're in need, and it begins to change their heart and their perspective, and their life is changed for Christ. Same thing. They're going to welcome you into your eternal dwelling place, and you're using money to do it. 
Let's say you're investing and you're one have, have invested in the building of this church or continue to help with this, this church. And 50 years down the road, when you die, there's going to be a hundreds, hundreds of people that are there in heaven and they're waiting on you and you're wondering what's going on and they're championing you and they're saying, thank you so much, job well done. You don't know them. You have never met them. But because of your investment, because of how you stewarded money toward kingdom purposes and lives were changed in places like this, they will be there to receive you. You're buying eternal friends in heaven. You're buying spiritual friends. You're investing God's money in his purposes, and that is why he's given it to you to steward. You get to play with all the toys that you get right now, but when God says it's time to do something with it, your heart is so in tune with him, you just do something with it. Does that make sense? You are, you are a steward with a lot of toys. You get to play, but it doesn't belong to you. The problem begins when you think you are the owner and not the steward. And why do I care? Number five is this. One day I'll give an account to God. This is a fact. One day, you and I will give an account, account to God. In our church, there are some very poor individuals. In our church, there are very, some very wealthy individuals. And in our church is the rest of us, right there in the middle. It's not about how much you make. It's about how you steward and what you do with what you do make. Jesus illustrated this with the woman with two mites, two pennies, two coins. The little bit that she gave. Luke 16, 2 says this. You must now give, an, give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. Let me tell you, you're getting closer to the day of your management coming to an end day by day. <laughs> it, your life is not growing. It is actually becoming shorter and shorter. Your days of managing what you have is coming to an end. And one day, you will have to give a life audit. You will stand before God, and there will be a list, and there will be a life audit of what you did with everything that he gave you in every area of your life. And one day, your time as a manager will come to this end. And what are you doing with the mind that he gave you? What are you doing with the talents that he gave you? What are you doing with the health that he gave you? What are you doing with the freedom that he gave you? Are you using it? Are you using it to further his kingdom? Because you will give an account for that. You will stand before God. And you'll have to answer because this is testing. This is preparation. This is getting you ready for the real riches, the true riches, the things that are most important, the things that are coming. And if you, think, if you think that he created you and gave you things, these things, for the sake of you and for you to use, you're sadly mistaken. We're here to, here to be an example of generosity in everything that he's given us to steward. Why do I have this? Well, so I can bless others. Why do I have this? So others can enjoy it with me. Why do I have this so we can go and do this together? Why do I have this so I can build relationships through it? Hallie and I bought a, a used boat, I don't know, 10, 15 years old, 15-year-old boat. But we've been having fun taking friends out. We barely even go out by ourselves. We don't go out. 
unless we have friends we can connect with, have a relationship with, hear of their hearts, what's going on, jump in the lake, relax, let the walls come down, let the mask come off, connect. God blesses that. You're a good steward. Thank you for using it for kingdom purposes. Thank you for not making it about yourself. Romans 14, 13, 32 says this. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. There it is, plain and simple. Verse 6, I mean, six things. If I'm faithful with little, then God can trust me with more. Integrity is a huge issue when it comes to God and stewardship. If you don't have integrity, you can't complain to God. You can't say, why, God? Why, why am I in this situation? No matter what it is, in every area of life, God is challenging and testing to grow integrity, trust, honest, wholeness, truth. Validity. The, the ability, the willingness and the ability to uphold what is right, what is holy, what is truthful, what is kingdom, what is his purpose. He's checking and testing your integrity in every area. God will always lead with trust, but our character and stewardship decisions will move God towards the more or the less in our lives. So as you see increase and decrease, don't blame him, don't blame others, don't blame circumstances. Look inside and say, where's my heart? Let me look at my checkbook. How have I been stewarding? Let me look at my calendar. What have I been doing? How am I managing? And say, well, okay, okay, I got you. I get you, Lord. You're right. I got a little greedy. I got a little selfish. Thank you for the blessing. Please forgive me. I repent for taking it on as my own. I'm going to make some adjustments. I'm going to do this differently. It's not about me. It's about your kingdom. It's about what you've given me to steward to move people towards your kingdom. It's about other people's lives. It's about souls. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And we can also conclude that whoever is irresponsible with little will be irresponsible with much. I'm just trying to break through. It's time. It's time to think differently. It's time to lift the COVID fog. It's time to break through the media distractions. It's time to, time to get rid of the worldly perspective. It's time to get rid of the world, the culture being embedded in the church. You know what? This is why God's people went into exile. They were taking in culture of the world and blending it with God. They weren't stewarding what God had given them. You know through history, every time people, God's people got their heart correct and repented before him, he immediately started to bless their lives. Track it. It's a, it's a kingdom principle. Old Testament to new. As soon as they begin to change, as soon as they begin to see the problems, look into the future, make a change, make some adjustments, repent, and begin to go forward his, his ways, blessings begin to follow. These are promises. If you have a little bit of talent and you steward it well, for God's purposes, he's going to give you more talent. If you have a little bit of skill, 
and you use it for his purposes, he's going to give you more skills. If you have a little bit of influence and you begin to use it for his purposes, he's going to give you more influence. A little bit of money and you just be wise with it. He's going to bring more your way. It's a stewardship principle that he promises. Matthew, Matthew 25, 29 says, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. And that is my heart for you as your pastor, that you live in abundance. But i got to get you to this place where you're stewarding the little that you got and being thankful for that little having a heart of gratitude for the little and not complaining about the little and saying, Lord, this is all I got. But I want to use it your way and do it your way. I want to steward it according to your word. And you just teach me how. I'm going to surrender my ways to your ways. I'm going to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because, Lord, I want to be able to use this. If your heart is such a heart that says, Lord, I wish I had more money so that I could give more away. Guess what? You start stewarding it his way, he's going to give you more. If your heart is, Lord, I wish I had more time so that I could do more, guess what he's going to do? He's going to start giving you wisdom on how to steward your time and your schedule so that you'll have more to do. You'll have more to do things with. If you start stewarding it in such a way to where, Lord, I'm going to protect my rest and I'm going to give you my best, he will show you when it's time to rest so that you can give the more. But if you got no budget for any of these areas, you can't tell it where to go. You're just wondering where it went. And you're wondering, why do I stay in this cycle, Lord? What is it that's going on in my life? Why am I in this cycle continually? Every time I get to this place, I do this. This happens. Because faithfulness in little ways produces abundance in big ways. I just want to pray for you because I know this is, I know this is the heart of every one of you. I don't know anybody, and by the way, it's not even spiritually correct to choose poverty. There is nothing about poverty when it comes to God. Nothing. It's the heart of every believer to want to be able to give more, and it's the tension of every believer to not know how to get to a place where they can give more. It's the heart of every mature believer to want to serve more and do more, but it's the tension of every believer to not know how to schedule their lives and live their lives and be diligent in such a way that they can do more. It's the heart of every Christian to want to further the kingdom, but it's the tension of every Christian to not know how to further the kingdom. But if you steward the little bit that you got, and you say, Lord, here's what I got. I'm going to yield it to you, and you do with it what you want. I know that's what every believer wants. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for a measurable, immeasurable grace over every individual in this place today. I pray that you help us all to be shrewd managers of what belongs to you. Father, I know it is the heart of every one of your people because it is in your word, in your DNA, the blood of Christ that washes over every one of us in this place has given us the DNA to desire and have the, the drive to do more. So, Father, I pray for grace to understand 
to receive in such a way the understanding as you did the shrewd manager a method, an idea, the wisdom, the shrewdness to move beyond the now, to move beyond the lack, to move beyond the selfishness, to move beyond whatever it is that is so easily entangling in these areas of life so that we can all become better stewards of what belongs to you so we can see your kingdom furthered here and now on earth. Father, I pray for more, more energy, more joy, more gratitude, more thankfulness. I pray for more understanding, Lord. Lord, right now, we just pray for the ability to receive a shrewd heart and a shrewd spirit and wisdom from above right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you change our minds, that you transform us, that we be renewed in you in this area of our lives today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I want to encourage you today, if you need prayer for anything, for anything at all, there's going to be a prayer team up here. And if you're here for the first time, we are, your staff would love to meet you. We're going to be in the Thrive Cafe this time instead of in our Connect Room, Thrive Cafe. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us. Let's just stand up and let's worship God because he's so good. And thank him for a challenging word transforms our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, 